Hi, this is Dave Shu. For those of you who don't know, I'm a family physician, and once a week I do a podcast called Medical Dads with my co-host, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician from Ottawa, Ontario. Stu and I talk about all things parenting, from the ridiculous to the sublime. So check it out and make it part of your week. Now available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, welcome to Unique Stories, a podcast where we talk to people about the stories that make up their lives, where they've been, what they've done, where they're heading, and more. I'm your host, David Shu. Thanks for listening. Today with me is our guest, once again, Luki Danich Cargento. Uh, you people might have heard him on our previous episode, but for those who haven't, uh, just a quick introduction. He's a computer scientist turned entrepreneur, master of the career change, and now a career counselor trying to help people unlock their potential. He's also the author of a book called Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier. And Luki, it's great to have you back on the show. Well, thanks for having me back, Dave. No problem. So the feedback we got from our previous discussion was people were interested in our ideas and your ideas about education, but they wanted to know a little bit more about your life. And I thought that would be a good place to go because it will help put everything into context if people sort of understand where you're coming from. Cool. Happy to share whatever I have uh, about my life if folks actually think that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't we go back to back in the day when you're planning out your career? If you can think back growing up, when did you start to have an idea of what your career was going to look like? Was this back like in elementary school or high school? Like when did you start to for, sort of formulate that? Well, it's probably heavily influenced by my dad, like, like a lot of uh, folks where my, my dad worked at IBM. So he was technical. He was an engineer. He was into computers. He was a coder, a developer. Uh, so I kind of took that as uh, something that uh, I probably should or could uh, be able to do uh, in the future. And the group of folks that I hung around with were a little bit more technical, more on the science side, like engineers. They, everyone was applying to engineering this and that. Uh, everyone was doing computers. Well, not everyone, but a large number of them. So I thought, well, why not? It seemed to mm-hmm. align. So I applied to uh, Waterloo uh, for computer engineering, uh, systems engineering, electrical engineering, and things like that. And Essentially, yeah, I try to uh, capitalize on on co-op, right? So for Mm -hmm. those that don't know what co-op is, it's internships that are uh, integrated into the the, the schooling program. And you do work and you do school, you do work and school uh, different semesters at a time. So essentially, uh, by by doing that, um, you get work experience after you graduate. So Waterloo was the the big one at the time. Uh, U of T Scarborough was another one that uh, had some uh, co-op programs and not uh, a lot of other ones. So those are the two I kind of limited myself to. Uh, Unfortunately, I I didn't get into the uh, Waterloo program that I wanted to get into. I got Mm -hmm. into some like regular math program uh, that didn't have the co-op. So my real option was to go to UT Scarborough uh, with co-op or go to this other program and then hope to get in 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 a future semester or term, right? So I opted for just sticking with it and and ended up doing a degree in computer science with co-op just because uh, I would get some some work experience. So Hmm. so it it was really to get into tech. Uh, I was kind of one of those 
kids that wanted to get into computer games like I want to be a, a game developer a game tester because video games are fun that's what I spent a lot of time doing <laughs> so uh, yeah why, why not try to make that as a job and uh, mm -hmm. yeah I, I didn't actually do much of <laughs> that in terms of video game design or testing or whatever but it, it's it's kind of was the um, catalyst to, for me to get into the, the, the tech side of things. Did anyone ever sit down other than your parents and talk to you about career or this is just a purely decision made at home indirectly with your parents like you didn't talk to counselors or other people no unfortunately i didn't take the advantage of those and like the the, the title of my book is stuff i wish i knew earlier so i probably right. should have had a bunch of those conversations with other folks uh but no it was it was a lot of um what i call the the, the conveyor belt of life like right. people were expecting me to graduate uh high school and then go to university okay so i had to make a decision well right. like computers was a good choice uh, engineering the, the dot-com bubble was growing at the time so a lot of opportunities in that vein and and it, it seemed to be good i i liked computers i liked uh, i was pretty good at coding <laughs> and stuff of like that so why rock the boat and do something different right and right. the other thought was like did i want to do business um in our group, uh, business was kind of like a, a second tier that you only went to business if you couldn't get into engineering. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't as well regarded. And I, I didn't think that I was smart enough or good enough for, for medicine um, or biology or that sort of stuff. Uh, I, I, I didn't think of like becoming a teacher or things like that. So there were a bunch of things that were like ruled out quite quickly. And then uh, computers and, and, and technology just, just came on top like in, in some of the conversations. Now, it's not okay. that I spent like, days or hours or months or something like thinking about it it just said yeah this seems pretty good it's good minutes enough. Uh, minutes yeah really. <laughs> <laughs> probably a couple of minutes yeah maybe an hour in total <laughs> yeah so so i remember when i was thinking about the same questions as you that i was i sort of had the same thing like my parents were like you know you should really go into medicine and i was like okay i i kind of knew at least what a doctor was but there was this whole other idea of being an engineer and the and the crazy thing was i actually had no idea what an engineer was mm. right because my parents weren't in engineering i had a close uncle of mine who was in computer science but i had this thing where i was like what does an engineer actually do and then my parents would say something they build things they build yeah. bridges and Pretty i'd be like it okay, I don't know anything about building, but okay. So I ended up applying to a bunch of engineering programs without even knowing what that meant. <laughs> so I've always had this feeling and I feel like as a high school student, I would have been a reasonably more informed than your average high school student person. You know, like I read more books than most people. I, my grades were better than average. I should have known, I, I would presume that I would know more about engineering than most of the students in the school and I knew next to nothing. Like, mm -hmm. did you have that feeling that a lot of these careers were just black boxes at the time and you're just kind of have this, the haziest thing. You're like, cause it sounds like, it, it sounds like computer games are cool. I, I've played games, so why don't I go do this? Like, is that what was going on? I think a little worse than that in the sense that I just kind of said, oh, computer science was good enough and I didn't even bother thinking or asking questions about it and I just said you know what I'll, I'll do that right it, so it wasn't that I really had this vision of me as a uh, computer game designer or whatever and that I would create the next new I don't know like Zelda or Nintendo or something yeah I always thought that that could be cool but it's just kind of like yeah I would become a computer programmer right and so you kind of kind confused of playing games with the job of making computer stuff Pretty much, yeah. Like I, I was too. I had to make a decision, and mm -hmm. I didn't really think too much of it. It, it made sense. So, mm -hmm. and it was one of those. Well, if it didn't work out, I'll probably have to figure it out. And and I don't know. People uh, seem to be 
doing okay <laughs> in terms right. of uh, of making their decision. Nobody seems to be asking anybody else any questions. Right. So why should I have any questions about what I'm supposed to be doing? I remember at that age feeling frustrated that people expected you to know what you were going to do with the rest of your life. Right. I remember having that feeling and thinking, you know what, I'm 20 and how can I know? Like I've barely done anything mm-hmm. and you want me to commit to this. And I tend mm-hmm. to be a person that makes decisions really slowly, like after mm-hmm. evaluating stuff. And here you're thrown into this thing where you're suddenly applying to university and it's like, well, whichever stream you pick, especially in Canada, can steer your career path, right? I could right. have gone to try to make bridges at that point if yeah. that had happened, right? Like I actually ended up getting into mechanical engineering, like at U of T as one of my choices because my parents were like, well, apply to arts and science, apply to engineering. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> like to this day, I don't know what a mechanical engineer does. And I lived with one in university, <laughs> right? And so I, it's crazy to me that we're thrusting these choices upon kids who can't possibly understand what the ramifications are, mm-hmm. right? It, that kind of drives me crazy. Yeah. And, and that's part of that, that stuff I wish I knew earlier, where if, if I were to somehow redesign the whole education system is to figure out, like, how can we get those experiences into the, mm-hmm. the kids' hands or the kids' uh, sure. summers or whatever, right? Because, yeah, there's a section in, uh, I guess, elementary school where you talk about, like, community helpers, where you, like, visit the local police station and the fire station and, and all that. Right. But you don't visit, like, the local, like, computer engineer or, or the uh, or, or the, the accountant or the whatever, right? Hey, because the engineer doesn't speak English <laughs> often or they're not participating in these type of programs. So we, we come out of this with an unbalanced thing where we know what a farmer does and what yep. a police officer does, but we have no idea what all these other jobs do. They just all look equally boring because we've never yeah. really dealt with them. Right. And then some people have the benefit of family. Uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, well, uncle so-and-so, auntie so-and-so does this and that. So they kind of know it a little bit more than uh, what the books or what people are talking about. And and uh, the, the unfortunate part is a lot of people don't even ask questions. They, they, right. they know that uncle so-and-so is an accountant, is a computer science, but they don't ask, like, what do you actually do day to day? Like, what does a week <laughs> look like? What is that? Like, is well, that something that I would want to do or I'm be- interested in doing? I mean, if they're Asian, they they don't ask because they know they're not going to get an answer, right? They're just going to get some sort of grunt when you yeah. ask people from the previous generation, how's your work day? Eh, it's all right, right? Yeah. <laughs> Work's and, not supposed to be fun. And then you yeah. just move on. Yeah, and, and, and that's fair enough where, uh, like, previously traditionally work is just something that you did in order to pay the bills right, right. it wasn't like a passion or a purpose or something that you were supposed to like doing it's it's just something that you that that paid uh, for your mortgage and all that sort of <laughs> stuff right now you said you if you could redesign the system but redesign the system is impossible for our podcast but of course. how about if you were just going to redesign your own experience like if you could go and tell one kid that's in high school now and say okay this is what i learned and from my experience, if you're in high school, try to do these things. And maybe that'll yeah. give you a clear idea of what these different careers mean. What would you tell the kid? Yeah, I would I would tell them to, to go explore. So so one of the benefits that I had is uh, our high school actually had a co-op program. So I don't know if you mm-hmm. participated in that, but Absolutely we had a co-op. Absolutely not. My parents are always <laughs> opposed to co-op. My, my dad had this thing that was like, co-op is how they use you as cheap labor. Stay away from that, right? Yeah. Finish your school, then go to work. That was a very yeah. old-fashioned yeah. And, and, and I, I could totally understand that perspective. But at the same time, it, it exposed me to uh, different parts of computers where I actually got into a work environment. And I actually think that helped me with my uh, other co-op applications in the sense that the first job, whatever that first job is, whether it's a co-op or whatever, is really hard. 
because you have zero experience, you're you're having someone take a bet on you based on marks that, that mm -hmm. are somewhat arbitrary sometimes. Um, but with that high school experience, I was ahead of the the university ones to get into there. So that was a, a one point of exploration. Uh, what what did I didn't. Do? What did you do uh, for the co-op? I was a, a a network administrator at the federal government. So uh, I I help people with desktop support. Like I sounds I was, impressive. <laughs> it, very much so. Like uh, on on my resume, I said that. Uh, I installed like a network of like uh, 35 computers, which means I uh, got the shipment out of the box. I uh, trolleyed them over to someone's <laughs> desk. I put the uh, <laughs> monitors there and I, I literally plugged them in and uh, they all work. So therefore I installed uh, th that network of, of computers, right? With the help uh, of plug and play. <laughs> well, but back in the day, it wasn't really plug and play, right? So you actually right. had to do a little bit of stuff. But yeah, it was, it was probably more uh, tedious than that. But it's uh, again the, part of the the whole job hunt thing is is how do you make something right. mundane sound like oh wow that's actually quite impressive. So, but so you're, what you're saying though is if you were to talk to your, a kid, you would say explore different things. Don't just explore the thing you're interested in. Hundred percent. My yeah. take on it, right? So you already kind of knew a bit about computers and engineering, but maybe the kid should be exploring policemen or other yeah. things, right, to really get a feel for it. Well, well, that's the thing that I didn't do because I went back to that place uh, four summers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, four consecutive summers. So what I should have done <laughs> is the second summer done something different. And then right. the third summer done, done something different. And the next one done something different, right? And I actually right. had my own kind of co-op experience where uh, I, I actually had my co-op work terms. And then I actually uh, sometimes was able to work summers and then do courses and stuff of like that in order to... to um, kind of pay for tuition and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. but uh, unfortunately, it, it was easy to go back to the same spot because my manager knew me. He 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 wanted to hire me, and yeah, I just had to. I right. barely even had to fill in any paperwork <laughs> because so it, maybe. It and this is in through. high school, right? Well, it was high school and the transition into university, right? So, so you were the going first to the same place year. even in university. Correct for the first kind of two okay. or three years until I actually did my real co-ops and then I actually had other uh, interesting right. work experience that I could uh, share and, and so and may get other jobs. maybe the rule for young people is to spice it up and do a variety of things and yeah. never try to repeat yourself over and over even if it feels comfortable to do that yeah and part of it is to figure out what do you love doing what do you enjoy doing and and what are you good at right because because mm -hmm. sometimes those are different right sometimes right. you love doing things uh, but you're not good at it and sometimes you're good at doing stuff but you don't particularly like it and it's a balance between the two because Oftentimes, if you think about uh, the people that uh, are, are kind of those top hiring candidates, they're the ones that are kind of the best of the best, right? You, you don't have uh, the one who's kind of mediocre uh, that, that's hired, right? Mm -hmm. You want the, the, the person who is really good at, at something because that's the right. type of role that they want. So if you can figure out, okay, what are the things that I'm either naturally good at, um, whether you like it or not, or the things that I enjoy so that I will invest the time to get naturally good at it or well, to get good at it, not naturally good at it, mm -hmm. then then those were the things that I, I think would be more beneficial. Because, um, yeah, you can uh, just spend time like Netflix and video games and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, if you have the, the opportunity to explore, I think that that would be a great opportunity to, to do that during high school. And, and even uh, if you're in a non-co-op program in university or college, then, then doing that. Mm -hmm. So let's skip ahead to university now. So mm -hmm. through high school, you were a decent student, right? But not super spectacular by the sounds of it. So now you get into university and you're feeling, you're feeling comfortable. You're following your dad's wishes, family paradigm of going into computers, chasing the dream. What happens in university to you? 
So university, uh, there were very few people who came from my school, uh, from from my high school. I don't think anybody did. So I had trouble making friends. <laughs> I had a small group of of, of people, and uh, in in high school, I was in gifted. I was a, a, one of the smart ones, and based on that, I thought, uh, yeah, I I can just kind of coast through university. Uh, after the first term, I had a, a, a rude awakening where mm-hmm. uh, I was uh, failing out of my courses <laughs> and mm-hmm. I didn't do so well because I didn't uh, really study as much as I could and I should. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I basically had to uh, kind of reflect on myself and saying, you know what, am I really this smart or do I really need to work hard? And that's when well, I didn't know at the time, but if, if you're familiar with the, the concept of the, the fixed mindset and a growth mindset, um, so that's something where I encourage folks to to be aware of that uh, you're you're actually uh, able to get better and, and and do better, right? So that's kind of the, right. the growth mindset versus I am smart and if I don't do well, then that's the best I can do, right? I was in that mindset, so flipping myself into a growth mindset was one that uh, took took a while, took probably two or three years of that university career, and then eventually uh, around third fourth year, I realized, well, I can do this. Like I actually. I uh, did do well, and then my marks improved and stuff like that, and, and I had a better experience. So uh, I, I didn't do much other than in class, right? So I was in right. um, a, a campus where it was a commuter school, right? So it took me about 40 minutes uh, on the bus to get to class. I didn't have a car. So uh, and uh, oftentimes I would have uh, courses clustered together. So I would uh, go to my courses, uh, my, my classes. If I had a break, I'd spend a little bit of time, but then otherwise I'd go home. Right. So I mm-hmm. didn't really participate in, in campus life, which, uh, again, would be advice to, to other folks is, is do that stuff, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. experience it, ma- make friends, build relationships uh, and get other experiences in terms of uh, joining clubs, uh, being a leader in a club and, and, and learning some of that. Because a lot of what you do in clubs and associations and stuff of like that can be directly uh, translatable into some sort of work experience. Right. And, and a lot of companies will actually look for that as uh, as for their from from their hiring candidates. So what was that like? Like you had been reasonably successful coasting through life up until that point, And then the, the cold reality hits that you're not doing well in university. Like, did you feel that you were sinking into this like pit or was it just like a shock one day when, when it hit you? Like, what was that feeling like? Yeah, it, it was uh, really that where uh, slowly and surely, like uh, I would go to class. I, I wouldn't exactly understand this stuff, even though I could uh, understand the high school material very easily. Um, and uh, I, um, part of it is, is I didn't read as many of the, the books or, or, or study as much to try to really learn it. I, I mm-hmm. was, again, that f- fixed mindset. If I read it once and didn't understand it, then I wasn't smart enough to understand it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, was kind of slowly sinking and I would get marks back and it was much lower. Like a, a lot of people realize that when you go from high school to university, your marks dip right? By mm-hmm. like 10 or 20%. Uh, mine dipped significantly lower than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hence the kind of warning letter to, to uh, that I was failing out of my program. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, the, the program uh, still needed a B average. So I wasn't failing, but I was failing out of my program, right? right so it right. wasn't that bad or that dire. Um, but it, it was one where uh, like, it, it's not a good place to, to be. So it sounds like you could go any of a number of ways at that point, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, many people, they're struggling and they end up changing programs. They're like, this isn't for me, right? Mm -hmm. Or or some people don't finish university, right? If it gets really bad, right? Like how, what was your mindset? Like how did you start to change your mindset? So I 
not entirely sure. I, I think it was that that wake up call of that that letter saying that I'm I'm going to uh, I, I'm on probation, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. That said, you know what? I got to actually study. And then I realized that if I did uh, read the books multiple times and stuff, that I could learn it. Right. So right. it was kind of a slow building up the momentum on that side, going into the growth mindset side that uh, allowed me to realize that oh, you know what? I can do this. Right. Was it purely just a time thing like that if you read it four more times it it would come through or did you have to change how you actually process the material or how you worked on it yeah i think the way that i approach it was more brute force right i just spent (laughs) more time and just said you know what i gotta hunker down and and spend more time and, and do all that sort of stuff um now there's another part where in, in first year, uh, like I, I had a girlfriend and the relationship didn't go well, so that was probably ah. a factor into that too. <laughs> oh, oh, the main part you didn't left it up till now. <laughs> yeah, so so that was a, a lot of distraction that uh, could have been used uh, for for study time, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, so so I, I I didn't have a relationship kind of second third year, which allowed my marks to go up as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so that was a uh, another aspect of it that was uh, challenging as well. So okay. I, I mean, I know a lot of people who have this kind of thing when they go to university because university is such a different experience from high school, right? Mm-hmm. You're, and we it, it goes without saying because everyone hears it, but you're on your own. No one's watching over your shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. Things can really fall off the rails if you were relying on other people to pull you through. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you started to get a bit of momentum and starting to get a little bit pushing forward. Now, what about the long-term plan? Like as this is happening, did you see your engineering career or your computer science career flash before your eyes? Like what, what was happening in the big picture? Or was that not really a thing you were sort of focused on the moment? I, I'm not sure I was focused on the big picture because I, I was trying to uh, survive, I guess, and, 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 mm-hmm. and uh, keep my head above water, so to speak, where uh, I need to get my, my average up, which which I did, like because obviously I stayed in the program. Uh, but I actually wanted to get back to kind of the original high school levels if, if I could. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I did really well and actually um, missed graduating with like honors and dean lists and stuff of like that just because of uh, a bunch of other things in, in first year that, that uh, uh, were challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was more... Could I get a job uh, from or a return offer from any of the co-op jobs that I had was really kind of my my um, Mm -hmm. focus area. I I didn't know of things like networking, building relationships and things like that. I just assumed that everybody applies online to to get it. Right. Um, So uh, had I known about networking, I would have approached the whole job search uh, quite a bit differently. Um, But I was just hoping that uh, a job that I liked that I was qualified for would appear uh, mm-hmm. But when when I graduated, it was the the dot com bubble when it burst. <laughs> so, so this there is were like oh two thousand two two thousand two. Uh, okay, yeah. So a lot of folks. Uh, it was really hard for folks to to get a job. Kind of like now, mm-hmm. where it's 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 pretty challenging in in the tech sector. Like all the dot coms were uh, like laying off a lot and and in tech it was really challenging right the rest of the economy uh wasn't uh hit at well it was still hit but there were still jobs in in other areas but tech was uh, severely hit Mm -hmm. um so for but i was able to manage uh through a relationship a friend's brother was working at a company they were looking for a developer and uh, so he helped me get an interview and and i got it i got the job right so Um, where did where did you end up working 
it was at uh, Deloitte. So okay. it was at uh, the technology consulting side of one of the big four uh, accounting firms. The accounting side was much bigger than the consulting side back then. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's kind of shift gears. And yes, yeah, I started as a coder. There's uh, something called an ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning. So for giant companies, they have these massive computer systems that run basically all their finance, their HR, their supply chain, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was a coder. And they, they there was a one of the ERPs is called SAP. It's one of the, the, the big ones that a lot of people have never heard about. <laughs> but uh, what, if you do get into the industry, you'll probably hear about it. And I was a coder in, in this uh, arcane language. It's called ABAP, uh, which is kind of an old kind of mainframe type type language. And I, I have visions ha- of you putting a computer punch card into a giant machine with spinning tapes or something. Right yeah, now. It, it wasn't that bad, but it was uh, it was not uh, modern by any any means. And uh, our our training was I had a book that said ABAP in 21 days. <laughs> and I did that in a, in about 16 days. So I was ahead <laughs> of schedule. So I was like an overachiever at that point. And uh, yeah, I learned how to, to do it. And, and uh, then realized uh, I don't really like doing this stuff because it's kind of uh, now, not that interesting. And I moved over to the business side a little bit. So. If you backtrack a little bit, mm-hmm. as you're applying for jobs and you get this job, in your mind, are you thinking this is going to, I'm going to do this for 40 years or I'm going to do this for 20 years? Like my parents did something for a super long time. Like what was your mindset at that moment? Well, at that moment, I was happy to get a job, first of all. Because the bubble's (laughs) bursting, right? Yeah. I remember at that time, people were starting to have this concept that jobs jobs are going to be more fluid in the 21st century than they were in the 20th century. Was that something that you were acutely aware of at that point? Not, not really. So on that mindset, I said, because uh, Deloitte, for those that know, it's an accounting company, or at least that's mm-hmm. the brand and reputation. So I didn't want to work for an accounting company for the, my entire career. I want to switch into like an IBM, a Microsoft, a Google at the time, that those types of the tech companies. Right. So I eventually want to move, but I didn't realize that they had such a, a technical capability on, on in that company. Uh, so I said, you know, I'll probably give it three or four or five years. Okay. Uh, I, I end up spending 12 <laughs> there. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty good. But no, I, I, I didn't have a permanent uh, vision for that particular role. I, I My ultimate one would be to get into one of those big, well-known tech companies at the time. So. At the time. Okay. So now you're progressing. You're, you've got a job. You're comfortable, it sounds like. But at some point you decide you don't like this, right? It's not for you. Is that... Is that a what? What's the learning point from there? Like, were you did, had you did you choose the wrong thing, or was this something that you couldn't discover except by doing it for a while? I think it's something that uh, you would have to discover by doing it, right? Because mm. I I don't know if you could have uh, like watched a video or read a blog post that would uh, inspire you to do it. You probably had to go through it, but at the same time, uh, the, the seeds could have been planted sooner, I guess. Um, so, so basically the journey was, uh, I moved kind of from the technical side to the, to the business side, right? So I was learning more about business, uh, and, and management and stuff of like that. And for those that are familiar with consulting, then it's, it's a pretty high burn, uh, type of job, right? So, uh, it's not uncommon to work, uh, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, that sort of thing. And, and do it sustained over, over a period of time. Mm-hmm. But this is um, after you move to the business side. That's well. That's the natural transition. Whether whether you stayed in the the technical side or the business side, you'd probably end up working about the same, right? So, but with with the original job, with the coding part of it, yeah. Like, what was it about that part that you didn't like? Uh, I I don't know if I I 
like didn't like it exactly. It was more that there were people doing more interesting things that I kind of gravitated towards. Right. So it's like, yeah, I was doing it. It's like, okay, I can keep doing this. But then on the other side of the the floor, there were people like having fun. They were like joking and laughing or whatever. And then they they said they did this thing called like sourcing and procurement. So Mm -hmm. I asked them some questions about like, what is it? What do you do? And do they need any help? And, and they found a role for me as, as a technical lead to, to do it and like managing a team of developers. And I naively put up my hand and it's like, yeah, I can do that. that that's no problem. Even though I had no experience <laughs> really doing it. And they took a bet on me and said, you know what? Like we, we trust that you can do it and, and we'll help you along. And then that kind of uh, went from project to project where I figured, oh, uh, someone's, uh, th- that sounds interesting. Can I do that? <laughs> that sounds interesting. Can I do that? And mm-hmm. so it wasn't like a purposeful move into the business. It was more of a, hey, that's interesting. Let, let's, uh, let me explore that. And by doing it, it, it kind of naturally moved me more into the, to the business side because mm-hmm. I already understood the tech part. And if I could take the tech part and translate it into the business context, then uh, people kind of valued my, my input and my skills in that right. regard. So it sounds like you were very fortunate that the environment you were in was large enough that it had these different things right in front of your face. Right? That, 100%. You could sort, that you could just look across the hall and see people doing something slightly different that you could meet and network and you know segue into whereas as even if you just had if they were on a different floor of the building you might never see them yeah right? I, i'm very thankful for the experience that i had there because you're right it, it did give me kind of that uh insight into what's out there right and and even yeah. if it's a, even a small sliver because at the end of the day it's still just technology and business right but those two areas are huge on their own but if you translate back to kind of like a what we had in, in terms of advice for like a high school uh, student, imagine if you had something like that where you had exposure to people doing different things, people doing whatever, and you can just kind of, oh, that seems interesting, that seems interesting, and even getting to that environment, that would be more conducive for people to actually figure out, okay, do I like it? Do I want to do it? and Or is mm-hmm. it just something that mom and dad wants me to do, right? <laughs> at, at the same time, so far in your narrative, what I'm detecting is you're still sort of on the conveyor belt of life. Like there's oh, been yeah. some hiccups, right? Yeah. But you're just kind of one of the, you're go with the flow, dude. Some opportunities, you can kind of see some opportunities, so you kind of gravitate towards it. But there isn't like a, like other than the studying where you really have to hunker down, mm-hmm. right? But we're still just kind of flowing along the conveyor belt of life, right? Yep. And this goes on for a while. And then what happens? And then I, I have a, kid right so start a family (laughs) and uh as a consultant we travel a lot right so i'm usually Mm -hmm. on a plane monday morning 6 a.m flight which means i get got to get to the airport at like four or something that sort Mm -hmm. of thing uh and then back on thursday and then Mm -hmm. rinse and repeat every week but uh when when you have a a newborn and you're watching them grow up over facetime over skype over whatever that's Mm -hmm. not a great feeling right Uh, (laughs) and and having a second one on the way uh, right. That wasn't the, the type of dad that I wanted to be. And uh, I mean, there have been successful um, management consultants who have kids and stuff, but that's just not what I want to, to, to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a matter of, okay, do I keep doing this and, and watch my kid grow up over a screen mm-hmm. or do I actually uh, change something? So um, I was good at what I did uh, and there was a, a lot of good things about it, but it's kind of like in the back of your head, there's something like, well, there's got to be more. There's got to be something else. Did this right? happen right away when the kids were born or was no. it gradual? Like, did your I, wife have to slap you to, to get this under control? I think it was a gradual thing. And it was always kind of the expectation is, hey, you know, you have to be home <laughs> to, mm. to raise these kids at some point. Um, so that's why the first year we, I was still traveling, but I was back. 
but he's young enough where he probably won't remember and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, <laughs> Typical and, and Asian had... parent dad <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> the, there you go. And, and, but the thing is, uh, it, it wasn't getting any better and we weren't finding a, like a, a groove or a way to really make it work, at least the way that we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So, and to, to give the, the firm credit, right, they, they were putting me on local projects. So during that time, uh, we, we, I was on a local project, so I was uh, in Toronto quite often and was able to get home and see him. But it was the nature of the business that eventually I'm going to get on a plane. Right. Okay. I, I work 40 hours or less a week with young kids now. So you have to tell me what is actually 80 hour week like with children while you're flying around? Like take me through the day in the life of your typical work day in those years. Like this sounds insane. Yeah. Well, it, it could literally be that uh, you start with, with uh, like a 7 or 8 a.m. call with with Australia. Right. Mm-hmm. Because uh, time zone differences, because because it's a global company. So you might have to uh, do a project where, where someone on that side of the world has to do and something. You're doing that call from somewhere else. You're not at home. Uh, usually it's on, on the drive in <laughs> okay. on the commute in because to, to just uh, salvage some time in. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's at home where you try to stay at home for a bit and then you, you beat the rush hour. Um, so, so you go on, on offside. Uh, so you, you put a whole bunch of calls in the morning so that you can uh, take advantage of kind of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so it'd be calls. Uh, it's, it's a lot of um, workshops where mm-hmm. we'd go to talk to the clients about what do they want the system to do? What, do, what training do they need? What challenges, what technology, what this and that. Mm-hmm. And it would be kind of workshop after workshop with different groups, different stakeholders, different whatever. Uh, maybe squeeze in a lunch here and there where you'd probably uh, quickly grab something and, and eat at your desk or as you're doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Then more of that in the afternoon. And then when the, the client meetings are done, then you actually get to do your real work because right? I have mm. to take all the stuff that I did with the client and process it and analyze it, create PowerPoints, create uh, uh, documents and stuff like that in order to uh, be ready for the next workshop the next day or for the, the, the technical team to go and build it. Uh, so it ends up being a late day because you're basically working twice in the sense where you're working with the client <laughs> when they're available right. and then you have to get a bunch of stuff done when, when they're uh not um, of, of concern because they're out of the office, right? So when so, does the workday end? Uh, it, it could be, yeah, 9, 10, 12. could be okay. 2, 2 a.m. and stuff like and that. You're Depends. squeezing in a, a phone call or two with your kids or your wife somewhere yeah. in the middle of that. S- somewhere in the middle of that. Now, now it's not every day that it's mm-hmm. like a, a 12-hour workday. And, and again, the, the firm is pretty good where at, when you have kids, it, it's a little less. So I'm think, talking about like 80-hour days when you're like the 22 or, or the 30-year-old type of thing without kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that seems to be more, more likely when uh, you, you get uh, higher up the ranks and, and you do have a family. There's a little bit more boundaries that, that, are, that are set, right? But sure. at the end of the day, it's oftentimes when the kid's asleep, then you crack open the laptop and send a few more messages or, or do a few more documents or whatever it is that you need to do. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, it, it can, can be challenging in that regard. Right. So the kids and the family were the catalyst to make you really reevaluate this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so then what were your options at that point? You're looking at it like, okay, this can't last or I don't want it to last this way. So what were your options? So the options were to move around in the firm. So there are different areas that I could go to. Um, some of it is internally where you don't necessarily go to client sites as, as often. Um, but the, the options there, I wasn't, uh, they were interesting. Um, 
but I was always a little bit entrepreneurial where I wanted to like open up a restaurant. I wanted to uh, start a tutoring school and stuff. So I was wanted to, to try something on my own. But so you've never done that up to I this point. Never done that. So there was an opportunity to, to basically do a contract, which is basically being a consultant, but being independent. So essentially I would start my own thing. Um, so uh, a colleague who, who had left and went elsewhere uh, found uh, a contract that uh, that he felt I'd be great for. So uh, we started talking. I ended up taking that that contract. And uh, on the side, I was starting uh, my own business. So that was where the the genesis of, of Focus Inspired and, and the career coaching uh, was, was doing, uh, well, well, was started. Because I would work at the bank and the bank has kind of pretty set hours. So uh, because I, I was working a lot previously, I would take the extra like two hours or whatever and start uh, finding people to coach, right? From from a career perspective, it would be students, it'd be young professionals, it'd be more experienced professionals, just whomever I could um, But the contract find. job was not for coaching. The contract job was to do yeah. some computer-related stuff for the bank. Yeah, it's for, for business transformations. It was uh, something called uh, OCM, Organizational Change Management. Okay. So we're implementing a new technology and tool and we're training people on how to do that. So, so that was kind of... How did the career coach part yeah. happen so, at that point? So it was uh, a, a kind of a, a nine-to-five job, like a steady bank job. Uh, everyone took kind of a set lunch. So during lunch, I would try to book appointments to try to coach people or or uh, reach out to people to, to, to coach. Uh, and then most banks uh, around 4.30, uh, it, it's pretty dead and quiet. So from like 4.30 to 6, uh, there'll be another an hour and a half to, to, to find more coaching clients or do more things on the coaching space. And how then- did you, uh, How did you stumble on this idea? Because I think we've kind of jumped over this. Like, how uh, did you gotcha. suddenly become a career coach? Like you thought this would be a reasonable thing to do or it was yeah. sort of related to what you were doing earlier somehow? So it's one where, um, because I, I used to also do a lot of work in, um, in talent management. So I used to run the campus recruiting program, which means that I, I, I connected with a lot of students um, and a lot of them wanting to get into consulting. And then a lot of them would be in kind of a similar mindset to me where they were just doing consulting because it was the next logical step for them to do, right? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like the, the, the doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer, and consultant was, it somehow snuck its way in there for a lot of people that I, that I uh, <laughs> talked to, right? Um, and the, the new and interesting thing is a lot of people are going into consulting because uh, they, they want to use it as a way to explore areas because they still don't know what they want to do. And they hope that consulting will get, expose them to so many different things that they can actually choose after they've, maybe, they've, they've done that. Maybe you can explain to me exactly what consulting is because yeah. this is another one of those terms like engineer where I kind of have this vague <laughs> idea that a consultant is someone that a company has hired to consult on something. But oh. that something could technically be almost anything. <laughs> And and really? that's uh, very much so. It can be uh, okay. pretty much a- anything. And but they what, have. What does it mean though when a person says I'm a consultant? Like, yeah. what does that code word mean? Yeah. So so it's that they can they consult, and usually there's a very specific type of consulting. So mm. you're not just a consultant. You are. So I was a, a supply chain transformation consultant. It was was what I was sourcing and procurement specifically. Okay. What that means is companies have to buy stuff, right? right? Um, so uh, when like uh, a bank has to outfit a, an office with all of their office chairs, uh, their, mm. their furniture, um, their, their pens and papers and supplies and stuff like that, uh, they have to buy it from somewhere. Like there's not one person going to Staples and buying like a whole cart of stuff <laughs> and bring it over. They, they have uh, long-term agreements because they spend millions of dollars, multi-millions of dollars on that. So they have long-term arrangements and 
uh, they, they work with other suppliers to say, okay, uh, Staples, how much would you give us? Like Grand and Toy, how much would you give us right. for, for these types of things? And then they have preferred suppliers, right? So uh, you had all these people that around you that are on this track of going into consultant and you're working with them. Mm -hmm. And that gives you the idea that maybe you can coach them. Yeah. Because I, I, when I was doing the uh, campus recruiting, again, I, I would coach and, and have conversations with these students. And once in a while, I would give them some good advice. And, mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes they would come back after they started and say, hey, rem remember, Luki, you met me at this information session or whatever, and you told me this? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Oftentimes, I didn't remember. Because I would meet like hundreds, if not thousands of these right. kids every, every year. Uh, and then they said, oh, yeah, remember that? And, and that, that changed my life. I'm like. Oh, okay. <laughs> that that sounds pretty good. And it would happen more and more, right? And so when I reflected and some of the stuff that I do in my coaching is I uh, ask people to say like, what what energizes you? What are the things that you do, do throughout the day that you in enjoy doing? And if you can get more of that, then that's great. And the other part is what drains you? What is the stuff that you prefer not to do? And how do you minimize that? So uh, a lot of the, the patterns that I saw is a lot of the coaching when I was talking to people, helping them solve problems and, and really giving them ideas, uh, taking them out of their comfort zone, giving them perspectives they never thought of, uh, asking them questions that uh, were not really asked, that the whole stuff I wish I knew earlier. Um, and the original name to the book was going to be uh, what you didn't know you needed to know. <laughs> um, so it's, it's that stuff where sometimes you can't ask the questions because you don't even know. Right. right. You don't even know that you're supposed to do that. So it's sharing some of that with, with other people. And I thought that if I could do that in the uh, post-secondary environment with young professionals, with experienced professionals, then everybody would want it. Right. Because so, so everybody needs help. Now you're working as a consultant and you're not with Deloitte anymore at this point. Is that right? Yep. So I'm an independent uh, contractor, uh, basically in my own firm. And yeah. uh, essentially part of it is kind of the, the day job um, working with the bank. And yep. then in the evenings, it's career coaching, right? right? And the career coaching clients, you're finding them from where at that point? Uh, just pretty much anyone I interact with, right? So, so people I at got... the bank, you're like, you know what? You don't look too happy working <laughs> here. Why don't you come in and let's talk about it? Uh, a, a little bit, Pro probably not uh, <laughs> specifically in, in the bank, but usually contacts uh, that I met previously. Uh, mm. Oftentimes they're, they're university students, right? Um, sometimes it's just random people that... that uh, listen to what I've uh, been saying or posting on LinkedIn and, mm. and people will reach out in, in, in that regard. Sometimes it's a referral to say, hey, mm -hmm. Luki, I know you're doing this. I have a friend who needs some help. Uh, would you mind helping them? So right. it, it would really be word of mouth uh, for, mm -hmm. for those early days was really how I would uh, get those, those coaching clients. And how, I mean, the Asian part of me, Asian parent part of me wants to know, how do you get paid for this? Right. It sounds great. Like, it's great to hear people say thank you for helping my life and fixing my life. But how do you wh how, how did you actually bill for this or did you like was it just something you were doing for kicks? Yeah. For, for uh, early on, it was just for free. Right. Because I mm -hmm. had no qualifications, no credentials, no nothing on that. Mm -hmm. So for the first couple of clients, it was for free. We would meet mm -hmm. on, on an ongoing basis. But the trade off was that uh, I could leverage you as would you mind uh, kind of giving me a review or, or a testimonial or something that that I helped you and did a great job. And yeah, they, they were eager to do that. And then as I got into the um, 
the, the part where I had to start charging people, well, that's where, where things get a little bit more um, challenging because uh, there was a stigma or there possibly is a stigma that a lot of people, well, they don't want a coach, right? Uh, if, if they have a career coach, then a lot of people think, well, there must be something wrong. Uh, because I'm not good enough to do that. Um, but uh, if, if you actually think about it, uh, coaches or the people who have coaches are the ones that are probably the most high-performing ones. So the, the very senior executives, the the ones doing really well, everybody at that level has a coach. Because they're uh, the only ones that can afford it. Sure, exactly. Uh, so I want to uh, bring the cost down, right? And basically make it available and accessible to everyone. So that's mm -hmm. why I'm creating a lot of content because a lot of it is out there, right? Uh, one of the names I give myself is, is, a, is a DJ for personal development in that nothing that I'm saying is really new, right? Just right. like pretty much all the music, it's it's been done. But if you remix it or, or do it in a certain way, then it resonates with you. Then you like how it sounds, right? Okay. And, and you're able to consume that, right? So so yeah, it's, it's one where as I get more and more into it, it's, it's realizing why uh, people are on that conveyor belt of life and, and how they got to, to uh, where they are. And then kind of um, uncovering the different layers to say, okay, what do you actually want? What mm -hmm. do you want to be doing? And then helping them to, to get on that path to, to do what they want to be doing. At some point, you, this became your full-time thing. Is that mm -hmm. right? Like you stopped with the computer science part of it completely? Yeah. So after uh, a year on that contract, uh, I had an option to continue and, and renew again. But I said, you know what? Uh, I want to dive into this other thing full-time, mm -hmm. right? And uh, yeah, so so I had my one-on-one -on -one clients. I had some clients with uh, kind of universities and institutes where they would bring me in for like workshops and uh, seminars for, for, for their students and stuff of like that. And I had enough of these ones where I could uh, kind of uh, quit that, that full-time thing and, and try to do these kind of little, little projects uh, and, and combine them into uh, an income. And mm -hmm. yeah, and then it, it turned into creating content, like writing the book, uh, starting a podcast, building an app, and doing more kind of these uh, career confidence workshops. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, continuing to work with, with companies and, and, and businesses to, to help them um, unlock career success for their employees, their students, their uh, anybody that's, that's associated with the organization and, that I'm working with. And you've been doing this full-time for how long now? 2015, um, okay. April was, was when I kind of started. So, uh, and then the contract was about a year. So, uh, yeah, probably four years now. Okay. And how has it been? Like, what's your life like now compared to the old conveyor belt you were on? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot more free <laughs> in the sense that I set my <laughs> schedule. Uh, I determine how much work that I want to do. Uh, but it's, it's, it's too hard, right? Cause entrepreneurship mm -hmm. is, is a job. Uh, but it's one where you are the, have the ultimate accountability, right? When mm -hmm. something goes wrong, it's my fault, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have a boss to blame or anyone that, that I can uh, kind of lean on. Uh, it, it's my fault. So if I'm working, uh, I, I reap the rewards. If I'm not mm -hmm. working, I'm not reaping those rewards, right? right. So you have to uh, understand that that's, that's difficult. And, and a lot of folks uh, think it's, it's easier than it is. Um, so yeah, at, at the first kind of year or two when I was uh, doing it full time, it was really hard. Actually, I, I probably was over um, optimistic in terms of my, my forecasts and projections. And, uh, and because I was focusing a lot on like the, the, the post-secondary side, uh, I, I ran into a lot of uh, walls, a lot of barriers because they are not necessarily as 
uh, open to change as as uh, one might expect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I was hoping for a lot of things. Some things happen and a lot of good traction. Uh, but when you get into kind of the, the bureaucracy of stuff, then that uh, becomes challenging. Mm-hmm. And that, so I had to str- shift my strategy to work with uh, more businesses, more individuals and stuff of like that. And uh, yeah, now I'm kind of working my way back into the schools um, now that they see some of the, the value of what, what I provide. And uh, we'll, we'll continue on to kind of uh, adjust as things go along uh, with the whole COVID situation. A lot of people are taking the time to reevaluate their careers, mm-hmm. right? So I have a lot more inbound in the sense that, hey, hey, Lukey, uh, <laughs> can I have a chat with you in regards to where I want to take my, my career and my life? And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, more than open to have those types of conversations as well. Hmm. So I hate talking about money, but at the same time, I love talking about money. <laughs> like for people who are thinking about doing something like this, right? Changing, right? Like people calling you for advice, like, you know, what was it like making the choice to give it up? Because you're giving up something pretty stable. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I guess you gave it up in steps, right? You, you kind of walked away from the firm and said, I'll do my own contract job, right? Mm-hmm. But at some point you really said, you know what? I don't want to do the contract job even. I really want to dive in, right? I, yeah. I'm just going to jump in the pool naked and see what happens, yeah. right? What is that like? Because for me, I mean, it's a different, right? I'm a physician, but I always think about this. Like, what would it take for you to leave, right? And sometimes yeah. it's so, it's hard to leave what you're doing, right? You're getting paid well, right? Your family's comfortable, right? You mm-hmm. may not be fully happy with it, but there's so many compelling reasons to stay where you are and mm-hmm. not dive into the pool. Like, mm-hmm. how do you, what was it like doing that? Yeah, so so the things or the, the thoughts that actually allowed me to jump uh, into the pool, so, so to speak, would basically uh, two two things, right? I mentioned before that I was always entrepreneurial, so I want to always want to start my own thing. In theory, but you've never done anything before, though. Hundred <laughs> percent. So, so the right. two things that allowed me to make the jump were basically a realization that one, I will never have any less responsibility than I do now, right? <laughs> because the other kid's coming in, and I, he's going to have to do like. Uh, taekwondo and kumon and all that sort of stuff i'm gonna have to pay for his university i'm gonna have to do all this sort of stuff so that none that stuff's not gonna go away uh the second one was um that i will never have any more energy (laughs) than i do now (laughs) in that i was getting older i was uh, basically whatever 35 at the time Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i'm starting to hurt in different places that i didn't know i had muscles and stuff of that and like i was uh not as in 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 great physical condition as as i was previously so Mm -hmm. i didn't think it was going to get any easier uh when i was like 50 or 60. so if i was going to do it uh then then i might as well do it now and i Mm -hmm. guess that the real thing that that allowed me to take the plunge was to say you know what i'm employable Right. So if if I did this for a year and it was a colossal failure, uh, then I could always go back to my old company and probably get my job back or a similar job mm. that wasn't really as bad. Right. Right. Um, I, I might not be in the same kind of trajectory to, to make partner or whatever it is, uh, but I, I would still be able to, to, to be employed. So mm-hmm. there was a capping that 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 downside where um, I, I would never be on the street or homeless and, and that sort of stuff. Right. There's a whole bunch of things that would have mm-hmm. to happen before I would get to the point. And, right. and the worst of it would be that, hey, Lukey, you took a year off to do something um, that, that you were interested about and it didn't work out according to plan. Oh, and th- it just right. makes for an interesting story. Right. Uh, so and the other side, safety net built in. Yeah. There is a bit of a net. 100%. And the other side is if it worked, then, well, I have a lot more uh, upside than there is downside on that too, mm-hmm. right? So for those that are actually considering doing something, well, think about that. 
Um, and, and as you're doing it, if you're looking at your financial projections, whatever the projections is, like cut them in half and then use that as, <laughs> as whatever you think and give yourself a little bit more runway. Um, right. Because, yeah, I was like I mentioned, I was a little bit too optimistic. Um, but uh, you can actually ac accomplish quite, quite a bit more. And uh, if you can surround yourself with like mentors or other people that are going through it, you don't have to do it alone. I, I think I still had some of that university mentality that I had where I was trying to do this all alone and I want to be <laughs> successful on myself or whatever versus if I surrounded myself with other people that, that it could have helped, um, mm. th that could have helped me in the process, then I probably would have been on a higher um, uh, mm -hmm. path. But at the same time, uh, those are the lessons that you learn best, right? <laughs> because right. Uh, you have to go way. through it the hard way, 100%. Yeah, right. Last thing, like you said, so it sounds like this was a, a bit of a culmination of a dream, like that mm -hmm. you wanted to do your own thing and be an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. right? Yet at the same time, you're like, yeah, I've always been entrepreneurial, but you never did anything about it. Mm -hmm. How did you know that you were interested in this at all? So there were times as, as a kid where I would uh, do stuff and I would always want to sell something, right? I, I had these visions where I could like open up a lemonade stand. I would uh, deliver newspapers. I had all that stuff, but I never acted on it. Right. There was one time where um, I'm not sure if I sh shared the story with in, in the other side, but uh, if, if you remember um, what GIMP is, it's kind of like this plastic like string or something. And you can make like bracelets or whatever. Okay. I was always very, very crafty, like good at origami and stuff. And I, I was able to uh, whip those up really quickly. So I, I wanted to kind of sell them in the schoolyard when, when we were in like grade three or four or something like that. Right. right. And I actually had uh, m my parents for one Christmas or something gave us kind of these these notepads with um, like a, a little sticky thing where you kind of rip off. So I spent like a, a, a whole like day basically creating an order form out of these notepads and, and which type of design did you want it. And I filled it was probably like 80 in it. And I, and I copied the exact same thing on these 80 ready to go to school the, the, the next day to say who wants to take an order. Right. And but I never did it. It, they just kind of <laughs> sat there. I was always too chicken to take that last step. So like oh. I always had these things that I wanted to do, but I never took that last jump in. So uh, it, it, I think that was um, th those those two reasons. And, and the, the final kind of capping the downside was one to say, you know what, uh, if if I look back on my life and, and, and never do any of this stuff that has always in my, my head, uh, that regret would probably be a worse feeling than uh, doing something and being a total failure. Right. right. So. That, so that, that feeling in your gut was that yeah. I, you had to do it. Yeah. And it only took me like 35 years to get there, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> did, did your family, like, was there pushback? Was there like, okay, this is a bit of a risk? Like, was there anyone around you that was kind of like, yellow light, wait a minute, hang on? Did, oh, or was lots of yellows, right? Everyone's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What What are you doing? But a lot of them, they, they realize, okay, I mean, he, he, he's smart enough. He, he probably figured out and came up with all these different things on how to do it. Because, yeah, there's a lot of pushback. Like, you, you have a job, and mm -hmm. you want to stop that to start a coaching, career yeah. coach? What, well, what well do the they thing do? is, oh, yeah. the way you told it was, like, you're looking at this baby. Like, I'm going to have this baby to look after. A lot of people would look at that and be like, you know what? I got this baby to look after. I'm not going to do nothing except work <laughs> the old-fashioned way because that's safe. Like, yep. that's kind of, that's, like, really pushing it at that moment. Yep. And, and again, it was those, those same things. Like I have the baby. I'm not getting rid of it anytime soon, right? <laughs> that baby's <laughs> just going to have more and more responsibility, more and more things that I have to take care of, more and more every, everything, right. right? So if I were to do it, when am I going to do it? When they move out of the house and, and they're 18, mm -hmm. right? And by that time, I'm what, like 50-something? 
60 uh, mm. something, right? And, and like that second part about I will never have any more energy. Now, now that I'm 50 something, can I start something? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you go back to that capping the downside, if one year the um, things, and I had savings and stuff of that to make sure that, that, that I was cushioned and all that. Mm-hmm. If, if all that went through, then I could get my old job back. I could mm-hmm. do a whole bunch of things before I was homeless and, and what have you. Right. So, mm-hmm. well, I, I actually really enjoyed listening to this story because we've talked a bit about it before, but I just find it fascinating when people change you know when they mm-hmm. when they are on one track and they and especially the asian track and then they end up <laughs> on some weird non-asian track like i love those kind of stories so i really appreciate you taking the time to share with us today yeah well thanks for having me and hopefully there were some uh, nuggets of information or wisdom <laughs> that uh, kind of inspire folks to to kind of reevaluate and not necessarily to do what i did but actually mm-hmm. to consider okay are, are there different ways of doing things right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah thanks for having me on again no problem We'll have you on again, and next time we'll try to get more into the nuts and bolts for people who are thinking about changing things up a little bit. What can they do to start that process, even on a microscopic scale, if you don't want to like jump into the swimming pool naked right away? All right, Luki, see you later. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Dave. Take care. Bye-bye.